one-week season. OWS fam, welcome to the week 18 edition, the final edition of the 2023-2024 season of the OWS Angles podcast. I am your host. I am your guest. I am JM to win. As always, throw this baby on 1.5x speed or 2x speed. And let's get started with what should be a pretty packed Angles podcast today. This is, of course, the most unique week of the season. I've said in recent weeks that week 18 is almost like a different DFS sport. There's just a lot more to think through, a lot more to think about. So as we always do in the week 18 or what used to be the week 17 angles podcast, we use this podcast this week to kind of break down some of the core scenarios we should be thinking about for this week and uh, how we should be attacking this week 18 slate. So Without further ado, let's go ahead and dive in. Just make sure we have time to get to everything. If you're new here, welcome. Check out oneweekseason.com. There's a free membership level, lots of cool stuff you can access there in terms of uh, getting you ready for the the week, Uh, game breakdowns, and and some other cool stuff in the scroll. Uh, If you are an OWS member, obviously, you know what to expect this week, uh, and you will be leaning on us heavily because week 18 is an interesting maze to navigate. So, First off, uh, bigger slate than normal. That's one of the first things that we should be thinking about here. And we've had, we had the, the, we talked a few weeks ago when we had that nine game slate, we talked about how deeper into the season, bigger slates tend to feel smaller. So a 13 game slate might feel like an 11 game slate would feel in week six or seven or eight. And that's because there are injuries. That's because there are sort of game environments that don't look as attractive. Uh, And so when we had that nine game slate, we talked about how it really felt more like a six or seven game slate. Well, this 13 game slate almost feels like a slightly bigger slate than normal because there are so many moving parts and so many different pieces, so many different things to pay attention to. Uh, So much value that opens up on a week like this as we move through the week. Obviously, we already know that there are several starting quarterbacks who are not going to be starting this week, even though they're healthy. And then that trickles down to wide receivers who aren't going to be starting running backs who aren't going to be starting. Some of these we're currently making suppositions on and don't quite have news on them yet. For example, uh, Jordan Mason is projecting as one of the highest owned running backs on the slate, but we don't officially have news that Eli Mitchell's not playing. Eli Mitchell obviously is the number two on that team. Pierre Strong is trending toward being one of the most popular players on the slate. We don't have news yet that Kareem Hunt and Jerome Ford are not going to be playing in this one. But of course, uh, Joe Flacco is out. Amari Cooper is going to be out. Elijah Moore is concussed and would seem that even if he's recovered in time, that he will be out this week, that they will rest him if they're resting these other guys. Uh, similar situation with the 49ers. We already know that Brock Purdy's out, that Christian McCaffrey's out. Uh, probably expect the other core pieces on that offense to play the first quarter or the first quarter and a half of the game. And that also is part of what we're dealing with in week 18. There's there's places where we have clear information. And then there are places where we have guesswork. And sometimes we see that guesswork not play out the way that we expect. We've seen weekends where everyone expects the starters on a particular team to only play one series or two series, just, just to stay fresh and, um, and then turn the page to the playoffs. And then, you know, the backups on those teams are popular because it's like, well, by the middle of the first quarter, this backup wide receiver, this backup running back is going to be getting all the work. And then we end up seeing the starters play the entire first half and even the first drive of the second half. And, and so you have this, yeah, a cheap guy, but he's only filling in for two quarters or one and a half quarters. And it uh, doesn't really provide you the value that you need from that, from that player or that position. So uh, just lots of things to deal with on a week like this. So that brings me to the second thing I wanted to talk about with regards to what we generally see in week 18, week 17 in the past is what I'll call the backup trap. And it's pretty interesting. We've actually seen this a lot throughout this season. We see it every season, but we've seen it play out uh, in a very like standout way this season where early in the season we had, it was like three weeks in a row where a backup running back was playing against, I think it was the Tennessee Titans each week and really tough run game matchup. Everybody's flocking to this backup running back. 
this guy's playing at high ownership without a pass game role, ground and ground and pound, you know, yardage and touchdown back and end up not getting the touchdowns and puts up three points or six points or seven points uh, at super high ownership. And so that's a trap that people tend to fall into throughout the season where, Hey, this backup is playing. And so they're underpriced. And so we just jump immediately, immediately at that. One of the things we even talked about in a few places this year with the, with the backup trap is the, Yes, this guy is underpriced, but how much is he underpriced? We actually talked about that on the, the Zach Moss week where he actually was a decent play. But again, same thing we had seen three weeks early in the season. Uh, Josh Kelly and I forget who the other two were. Same thing we had seen early in the season. Zach Moss was playing against the, the Tennessee Titans. And he was, I think, 4,400 and was was the highest owned player that we've seen all season, over, over 50% owned, maybe over 60% owned. He was over 80% owned in high dollar single entry contests that week. And one of the things that we talked about heading into that week was, yeah, he's underpriced. He's 4,400 or maybe he was 4,600 that week, but it's like, where should he be priced? He should be priced at 5,600, right? So you're getting 1K in savings on a guy who, yes, can hit. Yes, had a big game against Tennessee the last time these teams played, but also has a very broad range of outcomes and can end up with single digit points, which was in fact what ended up happening. And so we talked all that week about, you have a guy who is getting all this ownership just because he's 1K underpriced. Well, that's worth something. Being 1K underpriced is worth something. And if it's a guy who's 1K underpriced and has very low probability of failure, then it makes sense to kind of lean into the chalk there and just say, okay, uh, I'll beat the field in other places. But when it's, when it's a guy who is that popular 80% owned in high dollar single entry contests, actually 83% owned in the game changer that week. When, it, when a guy is that popular and has a pretty good shot at completely failing. And the only real reason he's that popular is because he's about one K underpriced. Well, one K isn't worth that much. One K isn't worth you leaning into 60%, 80% ownership on a guy who could very clearly fail. Right. And so uh, on this week, we see this, the backup trap where people, Block to the shiny thing of, hey, this guy is is the backup starting. This guy is the backup starting. And so we have to go there. And, and that can end up being a trap where if a guy has a broad range of outcomes, could clearly fail, and everybody's on that play, well, that's a good place to get a little bit different. So uh, pay attention to the backup traps this week. Looking at ownership for the first time this morning, I'm not seeing any clear backup traps. The highest projected owned backups right now are Jordan Mason and Pierre Strong. Well, if we actually get news that Eli Mitchell is not going to be active this week, if we actually get news that Kareem Hunt and Jerome Ford are not going to be active this week, well, those guys are pretty good plays at their price tags. Obviously, the Rams really tough against running backs this year, but the Rams already, we already know they're resting Cooper Cup, they're resting Matthew Stafford. Presumably, they're going to be resting Aaron Donald and other key starters on that defense. And so uh, the matchup, that the, the macro full season matchup that the Rams present kind of gets thrown out the window a little bit. And so uh, there are these clear opportunities right now for some value with guys who are going to get a lot of touches. And um, so I won't argue against those plays. Those are sharp plays, sharp ways to go, but start paying attention as this weekend develops because Saturday is a big day on this final week of the season where final news comes out and, and look for these places where people are just flocking way too heavily to a guy simply because he's underpriced just because the guy is underpriced doesn't mean he's going to put up the type of score that you need to get from that player. So uh, that brings me to the last thing I want to say here, which is this kind of macro stuff around this week of the season that applies to this week of the season every single year. And that is still look for the best players, still look for the best plays. We still want to be thinking about maximizing our raw points. And there can be this shift in thinking that we lean. People can, the, the, Again, people are gen generally people are binary in their thinking. People are this or that. They're black or white. And so they're going to oftentimes swing too far to this week 18 mindset. Whereas the reality is a lot of the teams that are sitting starters are just not going to score a lot of points. The reality is a lot of these backups who are stepping in, and a lot of times it's, it's a say there's a guy who's just not speaking on any individual player on the site. But like, let's say an example of a guy who is 3,500, and he's going to be starting with now a backup quarterback under center, a wide receiver who's 3,500. He's going to be starting with a backup quarterback under center. He's going to be filling in for a guy who is 5,500. That guy who's 5,500 maybe has 
two games all season of 20 plus DraftKings points. Maybe not even that. Maybe two games all season of 18 plus DraftKings points and no games of 22 plus DraftKings points. And now you have this guy who's 3,500 and has a backup quarterback and is in the same role as this guy who plays in front of him. What are the chances that this guy who's 3,500 who is behind the guy who's 5,500, right? He hasn't earned this playing time. Uh, and now he's playing with a backup quarterback. What are the chances that he's going to put up a, an 18-point game, right? When the starter who's 5,500 has done it twice all year with the starting quarterback. And so uh, there is this tendency that people can really swing too far on this week to, man, all these backups are filling in. Now there's a great opportunity to get good scores from these guys. And if you kind of zoom out and say, how many good scores have this team has this team produced? How many good, uh, how many outlier scores at this player's price tag has this team produced and what are the chances that this player is able to do this with a backup quarterback in this situation where they're not not likely to score as many points and uh, so those are things that we want to be thinking about on a week like this and make sure that we kind of hug that middle ground of, of recognizing that yes this there are going to be opportunities on a week like this but we don't want to swing so far into trying to take advantage of those opportunities that we're playing that we're just playing dumb dfs and totally embracing this scrubs and stars approach that everybody's going to be embracing this week where maybe our scrubs really are scrubs and are not pieces that are going to get us to the top of the leaderboard so just kind of tightening up our range a little bit to there are some sharp high-end pieces this week so you do want to kind of carve out that salary to, to be able to pay up but uh also you want to have that willingness to say maybe i don't need to get the 3K, 3,300, 3,500 guys that everybody's going to be on. Maybe I can look to the 3,700, the 4,200, the 4,600, the 5K guys uh, and kind of build a slightly different roster from there. Okay, I want to take some time. We do this every year to talk through the game scenarios that we have on hand. So we'll we'll focus on the main slate, the 13 games on the main slate. We'll do it pretty quickly because we hit on it in the Angles podcast. We went kind of deep into it in the Winter Circle podcast. Obviously, uh, not all of you are Inner Circle members, so not all of you uh, heard that. But this stuff that we've already touched on is touched on in the NFL Edge. And so this is kind of an opportunity for us to talk through it out loud uh, in a way that we can get a little bit more nuance than we might be able to get otherwise. Excuse me, I had to mute my mic there for a sec. Still a little bit sick. Uh, so we will talk through out, out loud these game scenarios, and maybe you'll pick up something that you haven't picked up in the NFL edge write-ups that you didn't pick up in the Angles email uh, or elsewhere on OWS this week. Uh, so Bucks and Panthers. Bucks need this game in order to win the NFC South in order to guarantee themselves a spot in the playoffs. So expect all out effort from the Bucks. Uh, Panthers obviously have nothing to play for, have had nothing to play for, for a while. Now, this is a good chance to talk about Jonathan Mingo was put on IR this week. This is something that we will see from teams, even though, you know, the Panthers have had nothing to play for, for a while. They're not going to use week 18 to say, all right, like it's the last week of the season. Let's put a bunch of young guys out there and see what we have. That's not how the team is going to use this game. That's not how, most teams, probably any teams are going to use this game, but what you will see is players who are banged out, have been kind of gutting through injuries, might be placed on IR this week. So we'll we'll tend to get that news. What we probably won't see, so let's, let's say it like this, like a Jamar Chase, right? Jamar Chase battled to play last week. Last week, the Bengals season was still alive. It was still an opportunity for the Bengals to win that game against Kansas City, stay in the playoff hunt, right? Win this week and, and be in the playoffs. Uh, now the Bengals season is over. There's no way that they can make the playoffs. So what we will not see is Jamar Chase remain on the active roster through the end of Saturday. And then Sunday morning, surprise, Jamar Chase is inactive. That won't happen, or that's highly unlikely to happen. But what we could see is Saturday afternoon, the Bengals decide we're putting Jamar Chase on IR. Saturday afternoon, the Bengals decide we're putting T. Higgins on IR. T. T. Higgins also mispractices Wednesday, Thursday. Don't have the updated reports from Friday yet. Uh, So these are situations that we will want to watch out for where teams basically say, okay, this guy's hurt. Why push him physically? Why give him an opportunity to uh, further injure himself when he could start his offseason rehab process a week early, uh, not have that risk of additional injuries, and we can call somebody up from the practice squad, fill in for them. They get this opportunity to play in, in an NFL game, get their feet wet. We get to see what they look like on film in an NFL game. So keep an eye out for situations like that. Uh, kind of nice. We have this, this Bucks Panthers game at the top of the list for us. I'm going game by game on, on what's listed on OWS uh, because it gives us an opportunity to highlight that Jonathan Mingo situation happened earlier in the week, but we could see a little bit more of that 
on Friday, on Saturday. So keep an eye out for those situations because there are going to be players or there's there's likely to be players who are banged up and the team just decides, you know what, let's, let, again, there's no reason for a team to keep a, those, those roster spots are valuable. There's no reason for a team to keep a player on the active roster through the end of Saturday and then make them inactive on Sunday morning. So we're not likely to see that much, if at all. But what we could see is some teams saying, you know what, let's clear out this roster spot. Let's pull somebody up from the practice squad, give them an opportunity to get some time on the field and put this, this banged up guy on IR. So next game, Browns and Bengals. Won't be surprising if we see that in a couple spots on the Bengals. We also always want to think about uh, this is not a tighter builds approach. This is not a single entry approach. But for... MME, one thing that we do want to think about on this week is who are the young players that teams haven't said publicly they're going to give an opportunity for them to get the ball more. Uh, and that might end up being the case. So uh, Chase Brown on the Bengals is one of those pieces, kind of an interesting situation where uh, not quite like the Titans, where Derrick Henry is uh, a franchise icon and you want to send him out on a high note. Uh, but Joe Mixon has been a core part of this Bengals team for quite a while, uh, is a big part of the community, is a big part of that Bengals organization and sort of sort of their identity. He, he has been a core, not a franchise icon, but he has been a core piece of that team for quite a while. Uh, probably his last season with the Bengals, Chase Brown probably taking over the lead role next year. So the likeliest is that the Bengals say, you know, let's do right by Joe Mixon, give him his full allotment of touches in this game. But there are opportunities in games like this for the Bengals to say, Let's give Chase Brown a chance. Let's see what we have for next year and give Chase Brown 15, 18, 20 touches uh, in this game. So kind of in, in MME play, large field MME stuff, uh, look for opportunities to take, again, this is not the type of guy that you're going to allocate 15% of your of your rosters to, 20% of your rosters to, but look for those opportunities to say, hey, what, what's 3%, 4% Chase Brown, right? If, if I'm wrong on this Chase Brown, but he gets one or two points, well, that's kind of expected and I miss, right? But if you're right on it, and especially if, if you do something like a Pierre Strong and Jordan Mason and Chase Brown roster, right? Where you get the three cheap guys where everybody else is going to have one or two of the cheap guys uh, and Chase Brown ends up putting up 20, 25 points that ends up being difference making on a week like this. So look for opportunities like that. Uh, Browns have nothing to play for in this game. We know Jeff Driscoll is going to be starting. Uh, Amari Cooper is going to be out. There will be probably more news throughout Friday and Saturday of additional players who are out for the Browns softens the matchup for the Bengals. Uh, but again, the Bengals banged up on offense. Who knows what they're going to do with their wide receivers here. Jake Browning still under center. And another thing that we've talked about, and another thing that's important to talk about on this week is that there are 53 players on a roster. There are 45 players active on game day. And generally speaking, 44 of those players are going to see the field for every single team across the NFL. The, the backup quarterback is going to be the only guy who's on that 45-man active roster and does not have a role for the team on Sunday. So how many guys can you really rest? I mean, you've got, gen, generally speaking, you have, you could call it 13 starters on offense, right? You're not going to rotate guys on the offensive line, so that's pretty static. You're not going to rotate at quarterback, but most teams have two running backs. Most, most teams mix and match, you know, two tight end sets. Most teams have up to four wide receivers. So 13, 14 starters on the offensive side of the ball on defense. Most teams have that nickel back that, that dime back. So that's two additional pieces. Most teams have a rotation among their pass rushers, you know, five, six, seven, eight guys on the defensive line who see significant snaps. Uh, so generally speaking, there's 30 starters on offense and defense. Um, and then other guys have a role, right? Whether there's the puncher, there's the kicker, those take up two of the spots. So then there's only 12 additional pieces. You get three backup offensive linemen, maybe four, maybe five backup offensive linemen. Uh, so basically you can rest your offensive line if you want to do that. If somebody gets injured, somebody has to be ready to go from, from among the starters. And then there's really not that much you can do in terms of how many additional pieces you can rest. You still need some form of rotation on the defensive line. Uh, so all that to say, the Browns resting starters, but you know, they're going to make eight guys inactive. Probably all eight of them are going to be starters beyond that. It's tough to have too many additional players who are active on game day and just not playing. You might have three, four guys who are active on game day and just not playing. But uh, all that to say the Browns will still have 
a, a decent amount of talent on defense. So that's kind of why you see the Bengals who have been good on offense of late with Jake Browning under center. Obviously he's had his highs, he's had his lows, but uh, his highs have been genuinely good quarterback play with good weapons. And yet, yet you see them implied for 22.25 points. Well, that's because yeah, they're playing the Browns backups, but they're not really, they're not playing a preseason roster, right? They're, they're still playing a decent number of starters. Uh, maybe the Browns are game planning a little bit less for this one, but they're still going to throw stuff at the Bengals. And so, um, Bengals, one of those teams, wide ranges of outcomes. You could play the Bengals saying, man, maybe the Bengals go out on the high note. They would love to win. They would love to go nine and eight, right? They're going to bring it in this game. They might, again, put some banged up players on IR, but there is an opportunity here for like a Jake Browning, uh, you know, Jamar Chase is currently drawing some ownership attention, probably primarily because of his price tag. Uh, and again, this, this um, perception of, hey, they're playing the Browns backups. Uh but yeah, you could justify something like a Jake Browning to, to Jamar Chase stack in large field play and say, what if the Bengals have a really big game here? But again, there's a broad range of outcomes here. They could very clearly end up having a disappointing game against what should still be a good Browns defense. Uh, and then again, keep an eye out for players potentially going on IR. And then, like I said, that Chase Brown situation, look for that in, in different games on the slate because we tend to see one of those, maybe even two of those each year where it's a guy who people just aren't thinking about and it's the last game of the season and the team says you know what he's part of our future let's feature him vikings at lions vikings have everything to play for they're almost certainly not going to make the playoffs but they're still live for the playoffs heading into this game they need help but the first thing that they need to do is win this game Uh, so vikings everything to play for lions basically nothing to play for they can move up to the two seed if they that shouldn't be the case because of that weird officiating blunder the other night, but uh, they can move up to the two seed if they win. And if the Cowboys lose, Cowboys are not likely to lose uh, two seed versus three seed. Isn't a dramatic shift in, in expectations. Obviously that could be a road game in the second round versus the home game, but uh, most teams, not most teams, but uh, the, the, yeah, I mean, the average team in this situation would be resting key players. That is not Dan Campbell style. Uh, very much expect the Viking, the sorry, the Lions to go all out in this spot. So uh, expect starters from both sides to be playing. Expect both teams to be trying to win this game and treat this like any other game. True do or die game for the Vikings, or or I should say, do and probably die. But uh, if they don't win, then they they definitely die. So uh, again, treat that like any normal game. Uh, Jets Patriots treat it like any normal game, except it's a any normal game between the Jets and the Patriots implied team totals of 14 and a half and 16. We'll skip over that one and move on to the next one. Uh, Falcons at saints, uh, both these teams in a similar situation to the Vikings cannot win and make the playoffs. They both need help. Uh, Falcons actually need help in the form of the Panthers beating the bucks. So Falcons need to win and they need the Panthers to beat the bucks. So probably not happening, but uh, both of these teams are going to treat this like a do or die game. Saints need a win and some help in order to make it into the playoffs. Uh, if they win and the Bucks lose, they, they win the division, but also if they win and then get a little bit of help in the later games, I think they need the Seahawks and Packers to both lose, but those are both in the late window. So uh, expect both these teams to treat this like any other game. Uh, you know, look at this and don't, and don't look at it any differently than you would in week 14 or 15 between these two teams. Uh, Jags and Titans. Jags have everything to play for. Uh, Jags will be the AFC South champion, have a home playoff game in the first round if they win this. If they lose this, they will need help in order to make the playoffs. So Jags putting everything out that they can put out there. Currently, we're saying game time decision on Trevor Lawrence. I'll highlight this later in the show, but uh, pay attention to Christian Kirk news. Christian Kirk has been practicing this week. He could be activated off of IR. DraftKings did not move his price tag, so he is still priced at 3K when when players are on injured reserve, what DraftKings does is they bump their price tags down to minimum price so that they're not clogging things up when you're shopping through players in the app or on the desktop uh, and seeing all these guys on IR kind of priced where they should be priced. And uh, so they just kind of remove them from your eye level, put them down at the minimum price tag. But Christian Kirk could be coming back this week. He He's still at minimum price tag. So uh, keep an eye on that news. Again, we'll talk about that when we get to the bottom up build roster. 
we'll talk about it in the scroll as well. I talked about it in the NFL edge and my DFS interpretations, but uh, Trevor Lawrence currently being called a game time decision. He has played what three missed last week, but there was like four games, uh, th- three of his previous four games. He was kind of like a game time decision. Will he, won't he uh, obviously pushed through to play has not been playing well through these and in- through these injuries, but um, expect Trevor Lawrence to be out there again, again, that the Jaguars need. Titans have nothing to play for. This is where it's valuable to understand the personalities, approaches of these teams. Titans are not the type of team that's going to say, all right, let's just turn the page and look to the future. Obviously, Will Levis is part of that future that they're looking toward. So uh, if Will Levis gets cleared to play, he's going to be the starting quarterback in this spot. Uh, Tajay Spears is the future at running back. But again, uh, there were kind of whispers before the season that Derrick Henry is dealing with some CTE stuff, some memory stuff, uh, and that he had already decided before the season that this would be his last year, last year taking those hits to his head, to his body. So uh, if those whispers were out there, that definitely means that's something that the Titans know internally. And uh, would expect them to lean on Derrick Henry in the spot. Uh, they know what they have in Tajay Spears. They know that they have, uh, realistically, they have one of the best um, one-two punches in the NFL. And anybody who thinks that uh, Derrick Henry has lost his fastball, uh, you're probably wrong. It's just that this offensive line is the worst offensive line in football. There was that game a couple of weeks ago where Derrick Henry had, I think it was 18 rushing yards and he had like negative 16 yards before contact. <laughs> These guys just cannot get out of the backfield before they are hit, but uh, no reason for the Titans to, well, if they were a different team, there would be reason for them to say, Hey, you know what? Let's give Tajay Spears his first start. Let's give him his first game with like 20 carries and big run. And, uh, but that's not the Titans MO Titans MO is going to be a, you know, let's let's respect Derrick Henry and what he's given us for the, over the years. And B, I mean, Titans, Mike Vrabel, like they are going to want to win this game. They're going to uh, come out guns a blazing and do everything they can to try to beat the Jags, kind of throw their division rival off track and, and hopefully knock them out of the playoffs here in the Titans last game of the season. So expect a very normal game from both of these teams. Seahawks and Cardinals, uh, Seahawks need this win and help from the Packers or I should say from the Bears, any of the Bears to beat the Packers. Uh, so Seahawks need this win and some help in order to make the playoffs. But first step, again, they need, need to win this game. So expect all-out effort from the Seahawks. Cardinals are uh, obviously long since out of the playoffs, but as we saw last week against Philadelphia, they are still doing everything that they can trying to build on what they have in hand. They've already said, or, or at least implied that Kyler Murray is going to be their guy next year. Obviously with these wins, they are losing draft position, valuable draft position. They you know lost last week. Uh, they're sitting at the number two overall pick. Uh, now they're kind of a win this week. They're at risk of falling back. I think as far as like the number seven or eight pick, but Jonathan Galen is building something here and, and building a culture. And so uh, pretty interesting, right? Seahawks knocking at the door of the playoffs only three point favorites here in this game at Arizona uh, high implied team totals here, high over under in this game, 47 and a half is the over under 25.25 for the Seahawks, 22.25 for the Cardinals, obviously going to draw the attention of optimizers and projection systems because of those implied team totals uh, going to draw the eye of the field as a result of that quick note here, as we know, you only want to play Seattle passing attack, pieces especially quarterback if you are playing pieces from the other side of, side of that game we, this goes back a decade uh the way that pete carroll tries to win games uh if the seahawks are not being pushed game environment wise you are 99 not going to get a tournament winning score from their quarterback and even from their wide receiver so uh, if you are leaning into that seahawks cardinals game recognize that you can play that game better than the field by doing not just a seahawks stack with no bring back and not just a Seahawks stack with the same bring back everybody else will have in Trey McBride, but doing double bring backs or doing different bring backs and betting on this being a game environment that the Cardinals are pushing, that they are scoring points, treat it like that game against Philadelphia last week where uh, the Cardinals were scoring points, pushing the Eagles. Uh, that's the way that you would want to build for this game environment with the Seahawks. So uh, Cardinals, nothing to play for, but they're still treating it like they have everything to play for. I would not expect anything different from the Cardinals. The, you know, Marquise Brown's hurt. So they've got to start, Greg Dorch, Michael Wilson, like they're already playing their kind of for the future guy and Michael Wilson. Uh, they're going to keep playing, leaning on James Conner. Kyler Murray is still going to be under center. So nothing changes for the Cardinals this week. Bears at Packers. I've talked about this in a few spots. You know, if you remember last year, 
the Lions were on hard knocks heading into the season. So everybody watched that. Dan Campbell's got this big magnetic personality. And so uh, everybody kind of paid attention to the Lions. They started the season one and six, but they were really competitive in, in all these games. And so there's like all this attention on the Lions last year. So when they had their turnaround, everyone was paying attention. And throughout that turnaround, like people started paying attention really early in terms of, man, if the Lions, I remember replacing a bet when the Lions were like three and six, like a pretty big bet on the Lions making the playoffs. Because you look at their schedule and it was like, man, the Lions could like, this is a good team. They, they should not have started one and six. There was all these close losses. Uh, and now things are breaking their way and they're a good enough team to go on a run on this schedule that they have. Uh, they ended up with like a loss in week 16 or week 17 that they shouldn't have had. I forget who, who it was against. And that knocked them out of playoff contention. So they entered this game against the Packers Last game of the season, Packers needed to win in order to make the playoffs. Lions were completely out of playoff contention. Uh, Lions came into Lambeau Field, took that game. I think it was actually the Sunday night game, the last game on the slate, uh, or the last game on the weekend, last game of the regular season, so that everybody could be watching the Packers win and make the playoffs. And uh, Lions spoiled the party for the Packers. Kind of interesting because this year the Bears, very similar, but without all the hype and, and media attention around them, right? Matt Eberflus, kind of a, a like significantly less magnetic media personality. Um, and Bears started the season, you know, really bad on defense. And uh, they, there was all these play calling question marks, like, why are they not calling designed run plays? And why is Justin Fields not throwing to these open guys? And, and like everything is wrong with the Bears. They started to turn it around. Tyson Bajant was under center, so people weren't really paying attention, but the defense started playing well. And then Justin Fields came back, and he's been playing great. Uh, DJ Moore and, and Justin Fields have this excellent connection, and the Bears' defense has been lights out. All of a sudden, the Bears are 4-1 and one in their last five games. They're 5-2 and two in their last seven games. They're 7-9 and nine in the season. They're five. What are they? So what are they? Sure, two and seven, right? They're five and two in their last seven games. And this has been a really good team of late. So uh, fun game here, Bears and Packers, Bears trying to build on what they have put together throughout the season. Cool situation for the Bears and that they, they don't have to worry about wins and losses ruining their draft stock because they already have the number one overall pick from the Panthers locked up. Uh, so Bears uh, against the Packers, same situation as last year. You get this red hot team, not going to make the playoffs, but has the opportunity to come in and play the role of spoiler. Packers need to win this game in order to make the playoffs. So really fun game here. Expect everything, expect the Bears to throw everything that they can at the Packers. No reason for them to change anything that they're doing on offense, anything personnel wise. And then obviously the Packers, all hands on deck, anybody who's healthy playing, uh, trying to win this game against the Bears. So uh, that's what to expect in that one. Chiefs at Chargers. Uh, Chiefs implied for 16 points with Blaine Gabbert uh, expected to be under center or definitely going to be under center. Chargers implied for only 19 and a half points against the Chiefs. So this is kind of that reminder that you can only rest so many pieces. Uh, I think the Chiefs have already said that Legereus Sneed is going to be out this week, star cornerback for them. Chris Jones, star defensive lineman, is going to be out this week for the Chiefs. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is going to be out. I have not seen news on Kelsey, but one would assume that 34-year-old Travis Kelsey will be out if, if Patrick Mahomes is out. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco has been banged up, so one would expect that Pacheco will be out. Uh, so how many more guys can you make inactive, right? There's only three more guys that you can make inactive. You would think that Rasheed Rice plays a little bit, but not the whole game. And so in terms of how many guys you can really rest, right? Then they rest a few offensive linemen. Well, that's, that's everything, right? So um, there's still going to be a lot of starters on defense and this Packers, or, sorry, this Chargers offense has still been an absolute mess. So uh, Chargers only implied for 19 and a half points. Uh, again, expect the B team from the Chiefs and expect the uh, the Chargers that kind of are already on their B team. <laughs> this is almost as if the Chargers were had locked up the one seed and they're like, hey, we're going to rest players this week, right? Because Justin Herbert's out, Keenan Allen's out. Um, I guess Austin Eckler will still be playing, but uh, you get the picture. This is this is not the best that the Chargers can put on the field. So this is one of those spots where, you know, you can lean to the backups, but also pay attention to the uh, implied team totals, 16 to 19 and a half, uh, not necessarily the type of game that is likeliest to produce fireworks, produce DFS winning scores. Broncos at Raiders. Broncos, nothing to play for. Raiders, nothing to play for, although the Raiders have really captured the energy uh, and personality of Antonio Pierce and have been playing throughout the second half of the season as if they have something to play for. Uh, definitely looked when Antonio Pierce took over like they would not have anything to play for throughout the rest of the season, but they've won enough games under Antonio Pierce that they were in the mix up through the end of last week. Obviously, long shots to make the playoffs, but 
Uh, still, continue. We would expect them to continue to try to finish this season strong. Uh, Antonio Pierce obviously putting together a resume for a head coaching gig, whether he gets it or not. Uh, definitely something that could be in the cards for him down the road. So uh, expect the Raiders to try to finish strong. Obviously, looks like Josh Jacobs probably won't be playing. Uh, credit to him for for not not the wisest move, but just from a competitiveness standpoint, credit to him for uh, really pushing to play this week. Obviously, he's going to be a free agent this offseason. No reason for him to risk further injury, but doesn't sound like the Raiders will allow him to play this week. So it'll be Zamir White again. If Josh Jacobs is out there, I would expect Josh Jacobs to get all the touches in the way that Zamir White is expected to get all the touches. So uh, that's an interesting one to pay attention to. No concrete news on that as of this recording. So uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that one. Raiders at Broncos. Uh, Jared Stidham under center for the Broncos, but uh, outside of that, same thing, right? You might get some players put on IR before before the end of the season, but outside of that, you would just expect uh, both these teams to play. They, they've got nothing to play for, but there's no reason for them to change what they're doing in the last week of the season. Uh, next one, Eagles and Giants. This is a really, really interesting one to me in that the Eagles – well, let's start with the Giants. Giants, nothing to play for. We know that, uh, but they've been playing hard. They've been trying to play the role of spoiler where they can. They're going to try to finish this season strong and give themselves something to build on uh, heading into next year. So expect all-out effort from the Giants. All healthy, active players will be playing. Uh, I did I did mention in the NFL Edge this week that Jalen Hyatt is the kind of player who profiles as like a Week 18, under like an under-the-radar Week 18 superstar. Um I, I I'm hesitant to highlight a player like Jalen Hyatt because he has such a broad range of outcomes. He could put up three to five DraftKings points, but he has been on the field a lot lately. Uh, if I remember correctly at his largest snap rate of the year last week, or one of his largest of the year last week. And this week 18 is the type of spot where you, you see a player like Jalen Hyatt. So again, not necessarily Jalen Hyatt, Hyatt, but think through this in different games of who is this, you know, rookie piece that's been part of the offense, but hasn't really been featured. And they might say, you know what? Let's feature him this week. Let's find a way to get him, get him the ball. Let's try to get him going. Let's try to close his season out with 100 yards and a touchdown and just sort of send him in the offseason on a high note as he prepares for next year. So, uh, yeah, that's the giant side of the ball. Eagle side, very interesting because they do still technically have a first uh, um, uh, division title and a home playoff game, a first-round home playoff game within their sights. What do they need? They need to win this game and they need the Cowboys to lose this game. Now, the Cowboys are playing against the Commanders. They're 13-point favorites, and the Cowboys have eight wins on the year of 20 or more points. So the Cowboys totally capable of blowing out the Commanders. At the same time, the Commanders are the type of team that can play that division rival tough. Last year, uh, they beat the Cowboys in Week 18, the Commanders did. Uh, two times this year, the Commanders have taken the Eagles down to the wire. I think even brought them to overtime in one of those games. So from the Eagles' perspective, they could look at this and say, you know what? Like, why couldn't Washington go out there and win? They're not the favorites to win against the Cowboys, but maybe 25% of the time they go out there and get this victory. And, and you know, we can definitely beat the Giants. So let's go out there and put our best foot forward. Let's try to win this game and let the chips fall, fall where they may. Worst case, we win this game. Cowboys win. We get the five seed, which we're already getting probably anyway. We build some momentum heading into that game. Uh, best case, we win, Cowboys lose, and, and we take the division and we get that home playoff game. Uh, at the same time, there was kind of some quotes from some enigmatic quotes from Nick Sirianni earlier in the week of like maybe resting players. Uh, Devontae Smith has missed practice all week, and it seems likely that they're going to not play him. And this seems very much like the type of situation where we could see the Eagles play their starters for half. And then, you know, Cowboys are up by 17 points. And they say basically like, you know what? We've gotten these guys, we've kept them fresh. Nobody got injured. Like, let's go ahead and call off the dogs, get these guys to the sideline, put some other players in there. Uh, so definitely risk of that in this game. On top of that, we also explored in, in the NFL Edge this week that what do you, if you're wrong about that, if the Eagles players play the entire game, what do you miss out on? Well, Jalen Hurts has one game this year where he posted a had-to-have-it score, a, a separator score, and that was that overtime game against the Bills. Obviously, if Josh Allen and Gabe Davis had connected on that touchdown in overtime, uh, Josh Allen would have had like 46 DraftKings points, and Jalen Hurts would not have gotten the ball back and would have had, I think it was like 26 DraftKings points. Instead, 
Josh Allen and, and Gabe Davis missed on that connection. Josh Allen ended with like 37 DraftKings points. Jalen Hurts got the ball back and put up, put up like another eight to 10 DraftKings points on his end. So uh, he's pretty close to having no games all season of had to have it scores. Separator scores is how we'll say it. Because again, even the week when we hit, you also could have had Josh Allen. So you didn't have to have Jalen Hurts score. But those separator scores where it's like, oh man, like the people who had this guy got a significant edge on the field at the attached price tag. Now, if Jalen Hurts for 5,500, he's put up a lot of games that you would have really wanted at that price tag. But to looking at his price tag and saying, how many separator scores has he produced at this price tag to where it's like, man, having him would have been a really nice edge. He's done one of those. Uh, AJ Brown has two of those. Now, DeAndre Swift has one game of 30 points, but he's 6,800, right? That's not really a separator score. That is a really nice score. That's kind of the score that you need at his price tag. So uh, we'll throw that one out. AJ Brown has two separator scores on the year. Dallas Goddard has one separator score on the year. So take the entire Eagles offense, and we've gotten four separator scores on the season, including from the quarterback. So quarterback has one, wide receiver has two, tight end has one. So uh, likely a scenario is that even if the Eagles play their starters the entire game, do well, win this game, you still probably don't get a separator type of score. So uh, to me, I kind of see it as a spot to just in large field play, embrace that wide range of outcomes a little bit because they are capable of producing separators. So have a little bit of AJ Brown, have a little bit of Dallas Goddard, but on tighter builds uh, or not even large field play, MME is where I'll have a little little bit of those guys, but uh, tighter builds and even large field single entry uh, going to be leaving these guys, three three Mac is going to be leaving these guys alone just because I see the the range of up op- the range of outcomes in terms of how the Eagles play the game. And then the risk, if you're wrong is really not that high because generally speaking, these guys don't post separator scores uh, Rams at 49ers backups versus backups. Uh, as much as these teams can pull it off. Uh, 49ers have not said anything yet about Debo, about Ayuk, about Kittle. Uh, honestly, 49ers personality MO wouldn't surprise me if those guys start. The only issue is then it, if you play too many starters, I'll say it like this, uh, you get eight inactives, right? So Purdy, Christian McCaffrey. Well, if you fill up the other six inactive spots with, with backups and typical inactives, then you're kind of boxed into playing Ayuk and Purdy and Kittle for a larger chunk of the game because, again, you don't have that much depth on an NFL team. Or if you take those guys out in the second quarter, well, now you, you don't have enough depth to take the the – off of out or to take some of your star defensive players out. So uh, there will be some of these pieces, whether it's Fred Warner or Nick Bosa uh, or Eric Armstead, or uh, again, one of these offensive linemen, maybe Trent Williams, maybe George Kittle. Like there are going to be more of these guys who are inactive on, on Sunday morning. We might not know until Sunday morning or I, I guess Sunday afternoon who those guys will be. And then the ones who do play, uh, among the superstars on this team, I would not expect them to play a significant number of snaps. So that's the 49er side. Rams side is going to be more straightforward. Kyron Williams, we already know, will be inactive. Matthew Stafford, we already know, will be inactive. Cooper Cup, we already know, will be inactive. No news yet on Puka Nakua, at least no news that I've seen. But again, this is going to be backups versus backups. Uh, Rams applied for 18 and a half. 49ers applied for 22 and a half. A couple guys on the 49ers drawing some ownership attention this week in Jordan Mason and Ronnie Bell. I think both those are somewhat sharp plays. I wasn't really thinking about Ronnie Bell when I wrote up the DFS interpretations. I kind of talked about how this is a, basically talked about how there's a, a, a very large camp of thought of thinkers uh, who believe that Sam Darnold would look really good in this offense. And I I'm in that camp myself that, you know, Brock Purdy does some things out of structure that Sam Darnold wouldn't be able to do. But in terms of the in-structure stuff that Shanahan asks his quarterbacks to do, Darnold has the arm and ability to do those things. And, and Darnold would probably look really good as the starting quarterback in this offense. But part of that is that you have superstar weapons across the board you're working with. Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle. Uh, when you remove those guys, you no longer have these superstar pieces. This offense doesn't look the same. So you still have the Shanahan scheme and design, but A, how much game planning is he putting into this one? And B, like, d- does it click in the same way where you're producing these big DraftKings scores uh, without those pieces? But Ronnie Bell has actually flashed this year when he has been given opportunities. So there's certainly potential for him to 
step into this offense and look really good with a quarterback who should look good in this offense against, you know, another team that's resting some starters and not game planning as much for this one. So uh, Ronnie Bell, interesting Jordan Mason. If we get news that uh, Eli Mitchell is out interesting in this one, but backups versus backups and neither team treating this the way that they would a typical game. Uh, final one is Cowboys at commanders. Cowboys need to win this game in order to ensure that, home playoff game in the first round. And actually because of that situation with the lions game where they got the win, uh, not only a home playoff game in the first round, but a home playoff game in the second round. We know that the Cowboys are a dramatically different team at home versus on the road, right? Every team would prefer to play at home, but there are some teams that the splits are much more dramatic. The Cowboys, the dolphins uh, are much better at home than they are on the road. And so the Cowboys very much would prefer obviously to have two home playoff games as opposed to, falling to the five seed and having to start on the road. So expect the Cowboys to throw everything at this game. One of, the, one of the things we explored in the NFL edge is there could be this question mark, this concern of, yeah, but what if the Cowboys get a blowout win and can Dak really get there? Can CeeDee Lamb really get there? Well, uh, Dak's three best games of the year have all been in monster blowout wins. So uh, Cowboys certainly capable of getting there from a DFS perspective, from a real life perspective, uh, Washington, nothing to play for uh, sort of, odd there was a report yesterday that washington could look to rest some of their players so that would seem to come down from upper management because ron rivera is not expected to be there next year expected to be relieved of his coaching duties probably on monday uh next week so uh, ron rivera would have every reason to try to go out and win this game and, and finish on a high note but uh Potential that we see some of these Washington pieces sitting, even if that's not the case, doesn't really change much for us uh, because already we wouldn't probably be taking pieces from the Washington side against Dallas, and we would be very interested in Dallas against Washington. So, uh, yeah, that's how we would approach that game. Uh, okay, a couple more things we want to get to before we do that. Uh, quick shout out to Props Insider. I mentioned this kind of week in and, and week out right now, but um, Props Profit is up to 18 grand. Uh, still have NFL playoffs, uh, which is not the most lucrative. NFL is not the most lucrative for props because you get just these handful of games each week. Still get more importantly, still get NBA, which is every day of the week, all the way through the end of June. And, uh, I mean, by far our most profitable sport. You don't have to follow the NBA. You just have to follow, follow the bets. Uh, and then, uh, college basketball has, you know, kind of been pushing, NBA to become our other most profitable sport. So uh, still get that to the end of, you know, March Madness. So uh, check out Props Insider. Again, the, the week passes, there's the, the monthly uh, payment option. There's the full package. So uh, buy it now and it still runs through the end of NBA season. Lots of profit left to be made. I would expect, again, I, when we were at 10,000 profit, I said anything can happen, right? But we're going to look up in a few months and it's going to be when I said at the time it was like 14,000, 15,000 profit, we've actually gone even faster up than expected, but same thing, right? You're going to look at props insider in April or May, and probably it's going to say 23,000 profit, 24,000 profit. So a uh, good opportunity for you to, you to get in there and still rack up some profit there. Again, we always want to be thinking, we want to use DFS as a way to think about not just how do we play DFS and win in DFS, but how do we take this type of thinking and this type of learning and apply it to other areas of our life? Get, get in this mindset of finding these small edges every single place that we can. That's why we talk about hitting the promos tab on the OWS site and signing up for different pick'em sites and getting the deposit bonuses on different pick'em sites where you've already used your deposit bonus on underdog. We'll go get a new deposit bonus on sleeper. Go get a new deposit bonus on drafters. Go get a new deposit bonus on, on prize picks. Uh, same thing here, right? It's like, why would you not want to scoop up an extra $3,000, $4,000, $5,000 over the next handful of months? Uh, and so, yeah, just another one of those ways that you can use your DFS exposure and learning to make money in other areas of life. Uh, okay, so some of the things that I'm seeing on this slate, let's see, we'll, we'll look at some of the things I'm seeing on the slate, a couple of key angles to be playing and then we will hit the bottom up build very quickly and get out of here. So uh, things I'm seeing, tons enormous amounts of salary flexibility on this slate. So again, we don't, well, you'll see when we, when we get to the bottom of the build, like how much salary flexibility there is on this slate. So you don't want to completely ignore this because there are guys, again, there are guys like Jordan Mason, Pierre Strong, Christian Kirk, uh, Ronnie Bell, guys who could put up 15 to 25 points. They can put up a score that even if they're on the low end. Now, again, these guys put up uh, Christian Kirk has, I think, five games this year, sub 10 points, right? But 
he also has three games of 18 plus points. And he has like 10 games or whatever it is of double digit points. Uh, that was all mapped out in the NFL edge. I don't remember off the top of my head what those numbers were, but uh, these guys can still like Ronnie Bell could come out and put up a seven point game. Jordan Mason could come out and only catch two. Pa- He's not Christian McCaffrey, right? He could come out and catch two passes and for 10 yards and he could rush for 60 yards. And all of a sudden he has nine points and that's not getting you anything. Uh, Pierre strong could end up with, you know, a disappointing game or a limited touch shares, you know, not the role that we expected. So um, there's certainly wide ranges of outcomes here, but also there are pieces, there are cheap pieces that are going to go out this week and put up 15, 18, 20, maybe even 25 points. And you don't want to miss out on those, but you also don't want to get, you don't want to fall so far into the group thing that you just think, well, whatever everybody's expecting to have is kind of funny, right? You you'll you can watch the games on Saturday this week, and there will be multiple things in each game from the way the game plays out and from a player production standpoint that is surprising and totally different from what you would have expected. So that's the Steelers Ravens game, that's the Colts Texans game on Saturday, and we can do this. We can watch those games on Saturday, and we can be like, man. I did not expect this guy to have a big game. I did not expect this game to play out this way. I did not expect this thing to happen. And then we wipe our memory before Sunday and we just go right to what do we think is the most predictable, most likely thing to happen and just fill up our rosters with that, lean into high ownership across the board. So you have to be able to think outside the box a little bit. So kind of think about some of these places where who could fail among the popular cheap options and who else among the non-popular cheap options could succeed or what other salary allocation approaches could allow us to succeed. So a couple of things I'm seeing in that regard, uh, some of the sub high end wide receivers are going a little bit overlooked. Uh, we have you know a lot of attention on CeeDee Lamb. We have a lot of attention on Justin Jefferson. We have a lot of attention on guys like Ronnie Bell and Jordan Mason and Pierre Strong, which frees up the salary for people to pay up for those high-priced guys. Uh, the most expensive running back on the slate is, you know, Kyron Williams is going to be out. Christian McCaffrey is going to be out. Rashad White is the most expensive running back on the slate. He's only 7,600. He also has only one game all season north of 24 and a half DraftKings points. So he's not going to draw that much ownership attention. So what you end up with is people just have tons of salary to pay up for these top wide receivers. Now, uh, could CD Lamb disappoint? Actually, let me look this up real quickly. Uh, the last time that CD Lamb played Washington, he was my like lock, lock him in blue chip play because that's what the matchup says. He put up 17.3 DraftKings points. Now, uh, two weeks before that, he put up 42.5. Three weeks before that, he put up 32.1. Four weeks before that, he put up 44.0. And the week after that game, he put up 35.6. So in this six-week range, he had scores of 44, 32, 43, 36. And then this game against Washington sandwiched in there with 17.3 DraftKings points. So my point is, C.D. Lamb can be capable of putting up 35 to 45 points, he can be in the best possible matchup and it could still not end up happening. Actually, that was Thanksgiving day, wasn't it? The, the game against Washington last time. So uh, that was that Thanksgiving slate. And it was like, man, just, just play CD lamb. And, and that was the way I treated that slate. That was, that was the way we talked about that slate. And we also highlighted though, like anything can happen. Right. So think about that as well. Uh, again, 44 points last week, 28.2 the week before that's, what's likeliest here. It's likeliest that CD lamb goes out and has another monster game, but also, recognize, especially in large field play or even on tighter builds, if you're the type of single entry three max player that you're going to put, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 rosters into play across all your single entry three max play, like play the different ways that that one could play out where there is, you know, 30% of the time, 40% of the time in the spot, CD Lamb is going to underwhelm. Like he's not going to put up 11 points, he's not going to put up nine points, but he could put up sub 20 points a good 30% of the time in the spot. Uh, and so leverage that on 30% of your rosters, right? And then on the rest of them, now you're overweight the field CD Lamb, even though he's a really popular piece. You've got 60% CD Lamb, 70% CD Lamb, because most of the time he's going to put up a big game in this spot, but also sometimes he's not. Uh, then you got Justin Jefferson, where, you know, really you get the Kirk Cousins injury early, early in the season. Uh, since Justin Jefferson has come back playing with these backup quarterbacks, he has 129.1 pointer. He has a 4.7 a 15.4, a 10.9. He has 10 targets in three consecutive games, right? Like this is very clearly a situation where could Justin Jefferson put up a big game? Absolutely. Absolutely. He's playing against Detroit. Uh, Good matchup for him. Uh, Nick Mullen's style of play is just 
I mean, really, uh, I heard him describe this last week as like Brett Favre without the arm, like Nick Mullins, it, he sees the field. He thinks he can make the throws and he just chucks the ball up there. Right. So uh, not a great Jordan Madison, Jordan Addison, really interesting leverage off Justin Jefferson, but he doesn't mesh as well with Nick Mullins. Cause uh, that's kind of the one weakness of Jordan Addison's game is he's not great at the catch point. He's not super strong at the catch point. Whereas Justin Jefferson's great at that. So Justin Jefferson certainly capable of catching a bunch of 50, 50 balls, a bunch of jump balls and, and putting up a big game, but also very capable of putting up 12, 13, 14 points. And so, uh, what we're seeing here is everybody's on this like stars and scrubs. Then, then it's like, well, where do I pay up? Okay. I'll pay up for Justin Jefferson and CD lamb. We're going to see a lot of that this week. And then that's also kind of leading to obviously Chris Olave kind of always draws some ownership attention, even though it's a really bad matchup still like Chris Olave myself this week, uh, Jamar chase grabbing some ownership attention this week. Uh, but DJ Moore going totally overlooked here at 7K. DJ Moore in this matchup against a Green Bay pass defense, it's very up and down, has been, uh, you know, five different quarterbacks have put up their single best game of the season against Green Bay. So if Green Bay, if, if Green Bay runs cold on defense this week, and even if they don't, right? Last week was the first week I was off of DJ Moore in like two months. And or, uh, since, since Justin Fields came back, I should say, so like a month and a half. Uh, and my reasoning was, you know what, like this matchup against Atlanta is so tough on white outs. And I kept saying, like, you know, the matchup must be tough if I'm not on DJ Moore at low ownership at that. Right. And then DJ Moore, what did he do? He went out and put up another monster game. Right. So uh, even even if the matchup were tough, he's a guy we should be considering. uh, But people are just kind of totally ignoring him. Similarly, we talked about, you know, Rashad White, 7600. And then it's like, well, where else do you go at running back? So you got everybody you get a couple cheap guys and then everybody clumped up in this sort of 6k running back range so actually let me uh look at ownership to see uh so at running back you've got tony pollard 6500 uh, these, these are guys projected for 20 percent or more tony pollard at 6500 zamir white at 6k uh, projected for 10% or more. You got Ezekiel Elliott at 5,900, Kenneth Walker at 6,500, James Conner at 6,100, Aaron Jones at 6,300, Bajan Robinson at 6,600. So you kind of see like there's just this big clump of running backs in this 6K price range and everybody's kind of flocking toward them. Uh, along with that, because there's so many in this range, there are a few that are going completely overlooked. So Joe Mixon, not a great on paper play, but Stands out that he's only 4.6% projected ownership. Uh, Austin Eckler has shown nothing and yet should stand out to us that he's only 3.3% projected ownership. Uh, Derrick Henry, tough matchup, but we would expect the Titans to try to lean on him, try to send him out on the high note, on a high note, only 0.6% projected ownership. And then going back to the Bears, Khalil Herbert, who has had the lead role back-to-back weeks, Deontay Foreman has been healthy and active back-to-back weeks. Sort of Deontay Foreman's had a weird season where he was healthy and active early in the year. Then he had a fill in because of injuries, played well, as would be expected. And then when everybody was healthy, they started doing this three-man backfield where it was like, you know what, like everybody should get some touches. Uh, And then they kind of realized, well, you know what, running backs is important to get them into a rhythm. So yes, Deontay Foreman has played well, but He's going to be healthy and active. So last two weeks, healthy and active last two weeks. Khalil Herbert, 22 plus DraftKings points. He is projected for 0.5% ownership right now in this great matchup against Green Bay. So uh, again, he's 5,700. So we see there's like these so many running backs in the 6K range that there's some of them that are going overlooked this week. And then similarly, everybody's kind of focused on the stars and scrubs approach, getting up to the highest price wide receivers uh, and not enough are kind of going to be paying attention to this uh, sort of mid high end range of wide receivers. So pay attention to that. Another thing to think about this week, leverage uh, where there's too much ownership flowing in particular directions. So how does, how does CD lamb disappoint? The likeliest way for CD lamb to disappoint is for, another wide receiver on Dallas to have a big game. So uh, Brandon Cook's coming in at like 2% projected ownership and CD Lamb coming in at, well, what is it, like 30% projected ownership. So when we talk about leverage, we're talking about guys who not only put up can put up a big game, but their big game is taking away points from a popular player, right? So you pull this lever and it means, you pull this lever of saying, CD Lamb disappoints, I don't play CD Lamb. Well, what does that push up? That Pull down this lever, it pushes up this lever that says play Brandon Cook. So uh, Brandon Cook's very interesting. Christian Watson, we got Jaden Reed coming in at like 10% projected ownership. Christian Watson coming in at 2% projected ownership. 
Christian Watson, a guy capable of putting up 30 plus DraftKings points. So again, that type of leverage, things that we should be looking for on this week. Uh, Darius Slayton coming in like 2% predicted ownership. Jalen Hyatt, even lower than that. Wandale Robinson, as we always kind of see, coming in at 10 plus percent projected ownership. So look for these opportunities where you can get that leverage to say, yeah, maybe everybody is right directionally, but not right specifically, right? So they are right about what's going to happen in this game. This team, this offense is going to do a good job through the air but maybe wrong on which player is going to benefit from that. Uh, And then the last things I want to talk about here are one still think about 200 plus points. Think about how you can get to 200 plus points on your roster. That biggest trap that people fall into on this week is just saying, Oh, this guy's a clear value. This guy's stepping into a big role, right? Well, what happens if, your 3K guys, your 4K running backs all hit 4X. And that frees up the salary for you to get to Justin Jefferson. And Justin Jefferson, who's over 9K, puts up 26 points, right? Well, now you're you're nine points shy of the pace that you need already because your cheap guys just, just got you, you know, your 3K guys get you 12 points and your 4,500 running backs got you 18 points, probably less than that, right? And, and Justin Jefferson only hits two and a half X or three X. Well, now you're so far behind the pace of what you need for those 200 points. So you still want to be thinking about who are the cheap guys who can significantly outperform their salary multiplier? Who are the expensive guys? And again, not not talking down Justin Jefferson. He's on my list this week. He's a guy I like this week. There are some angles that I like about Justin Jefferson this week and how to play him. But who are the guys who can significantly outperform their salary at the high end of the price range, right? CeeDee Lamb can go out and put up 45 points. He's done it multiple times this year. Uh, who are the guys who can significantly outperform their salary at the high end of the price range? Who are the guys who can significantly outperform their salary at the low end of the price range? Who are the guys who can actually keep you on that 200 plus point pace? So don't get so boxed into the salary this week. Make sure you're still thinking about the raw points because as Hilo and I, I always say, like once games kick off, salary no longer matters. All that matters is how many points you get. So uh, be thinking about that this week. When you're looking at cheap guys, make sure you're asking that question. Okay, can this guy really keep me on pace for a 200 plus point score? And by on pace, I don't just mean that 4X salary multiplier. I mean, can he be one of the guys who makes up for other guys on your roster falling short? Can he be the guy who goes 5X, 5.5X? Can he be the cheap guy who scores 20 to 25 points? Uh, Can he be the expensive guy who scores 40, 45 points? Uh, Be thinking about that as you're building out your roster. Still think about scoring 200 plus points. And then another thing that's really valuable in week 18 is just looking for clear things that the field is missing. So go through ownership projections because on this week, probably more than any other, except for maybe week one, where we could look through and be like, wait, Pukunakua is 0.3% owned, right? <laughs> like, and he's 3K in salary. Uh, there's there's week one, we have some situations like that. But uh, this week, more than any other, except for possibly week one, you have this opportunity to look through ownership and just find guys at the very bottom who you're like, man, this guy could, this guy's 4,500 and he can put up 25 points. This guy is 3,300 and he can put up 18 to 20 points. Uh, this guy is 8K and he can put up 40 points. So um, this week, we tend to see a lot of people flocking to the same chalk. Uh, we tend to see hot, heavy ownership on whatever chalk pieces are in place because the narratives develop around this, this backup stepping in or this role opening up or, or this game developing this way. Uh, and that just leaves that much more unrostered on a pretty large slate where there's plenty of opportunities to find those outlier types of scores on low-owned pieces. So this week, more than any other, like don't set your concrete player pool and your exact plan of approach until late Saturday night or even Sunday morning when you can really look through and, and kind of see, okay, here's a guy that could hit for a big game. Here's a guy who could hit for a big game that the field just isn't on. Um, okay, with that, a little bit longer pod than normal today, but let's get to the bottom-up build. And this is mostly just an illustration of, uh, I'm not going to go into these players. Again, if you're new here, this is 44K salary cap. We have a contest that's 44K salary cap called the bottom-up build contest. Find it linked in my player grid in the scroll or find it linked in the bottom-up build channel in the OWS Discord. Uh, bottom-up build, build with 44K salary cap or below. So uh, I won't spend time on these. All these guys are in the player grid, so I'll get a chance to talk about them in there. But just wanted to kind of show what a bottom-up build roster can look like this week. Uh, going with Tyrod Taylor, who's even more expensive than some of the other cheap quarterbacks that people will, will be going to this week. Uh, Tyrod Taylor and Darren Waller as my sort of stacking pair, right? I put in Christian Kirk. Obviously, this is assuming that 
that Eli Mitchell is going to be out for the 49ers. This is assuming that Jerome Ford and uh, Kareem Hunt are going to be out for the Browns. This is assuming that Christian Kirk is active this week for the Jags. But Jordan Mason, Pierre Strong, Christian Kirk, and Noah Gray. And that leaves me with enough salary left over on a 44K salary cap roster to fit in CeeDee Lamb and DJ Moore. Uh, and the Patriots defense, who's 3,600 and put them in just because that fills out the salary. And again, Darren Waller is not a super cheap piece. Tyrod Taylor, uh, not as cheap as some of the other quarterbacks available. So uh, bottom up build this week, Tyrod Taylor, Jordan Mason, Pierre Strong, Christian Kirk, CeeDee Lamb, DJ Moore, Noah Gray, Darren Waller, and the Patriots defense. Uh, so kind of gives you an illustration of what you can do with salary this week, because you could then take a framework like that and then say, okay, well, let's move Darren Waller over into the tight end position, move Noah Gray over to the flex, and then say, here's a 2,500 player. We've got 6K in salary to work with. We can get all the way up to 8,500 on this last piece. Uh, kind of do that or do that at running back, right? Where you say like, let's go up with two guys. Then we have extra salary left over at some other spots. And so you just kind of see how much flexibility people are going to be working with this week and recognize again, why we're going to see so much Justin Jefferson plus CD Lamb pairings. And we can think about if you're going to play those two together, you've got to do it differently than the field is doing it or do something significantly different on the rest of that roster. Uh, or you just want to say, well, let me just not do CD Lamb plus Justin Jefferson because that's going to be such a common roster construction approach and find some other ways to build this week. So uh, with that, we will call an end to this week's Angles podcast. That's an end to the Angles podcast for the year. Fun to do it on video this year. Uh, and yeah, as always, had a blast hanging out with you guys throughout this season. Uh, as you guys know, I don't do playoff content or podcasts, so uh, but we will have you know full NFL Edge write-ups and the scroll and everything for you throughout the playoffs. Uh, I will see you on the site throughout this weekend. I'll see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday, and I will then kick back and enjoy some playoff football without any sweats uh, on my end. So uh, with that, I'll see you soon. I'm out.